Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Power prices in California surged to a two-year high. The state's power grid coming under serious pressure in the middle of a heat wave. The SEC appeared in federal court to defend itself after being accused of supporting discrimination. Iran could receive hundreds of billions of dollars under the new Iran nuclear deal, according to a new study. This comes as experts say it may already have enough uranium for a nuclear bomb. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. Power prices in California and other western states today soaring to their highest level in two years. Since a brutal heat wave stresses the electrical power grid, power prices in Southern California hit $500 per megawatt hour, about five times the average. It's $850, hours, $850 per megawatt hour in Arizona, even higher than California. For the seventh day, California's grid operator has asked consumers to save energy to avoid blackouts. That includes avoiding major, major, using major appliances and avoiding charging electrical vehicles during peak hours. California's record-breaking temperatures expected to continue this week, with highs reaching into the 110s. The situation highlights just how vulnerable grids have become as California transitions from fossil fuels to renewables. California has also created a new state government body to regulate the fast food industry. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the law creating the Fast Food Council on Monday. The group will be made up of 10 industry members. They will decide minimum standards for pay, hours and working conditions. The new standards will apply to large restaurant chains and those with more than 100 locations. The restaurant industry warns it could raise prices with McDonald's executive calling the move lopsided, hypocritical and ill-conceived. When the Securities and Exchange Commission appeared in federal court, it was sued because the SEC approved a NASDAQ diversity rule. The diversity rule requires companies listed on the NASDAQ to have a board member who identifies as a female and someone from a minority or LGBTQ group. And if the NASDAQ listed company doesn't do this, they'll have to explain why. The think tank National Center for Public Policy Research and another group are trying to overturn the rule. Those groups argue that requiring companies to have board members based on gender and orientation is unconstitutional. SEC says the First and Fifth Amendments, though, don't apply to the NASDAQ because it is a private entity. And here to talk more in depth about the diversity rule and the lawsuit, we spoke to the think tank that has sued the SEC. Here's Entities Don Ma with Scott Shepard from the National Center for Public Policy Research. Scott, thanks for coming on today. Now, tell me something. The Nasdaq's board diversity rule, what's the issue? It requires the companies listed on the Nasdaq to have diverse members. What's the concern here? Well, it requires them to have diverse uh, members on the basis of race, sex, and orientation. And it turns out that in the United States, taking race, sex, and, and orientation into account uh, in making hiring decisions is illegal and unconstitutional and we all have civil rights and we have the same civil rights so it's illegal and unconstitutional regardless of the the groups that you're discriminating against in those categories and regardless if you've if you've labeled 
the groups that you're discriminating in favor of as diverse or not. Now, the SEC says that the First and Fifth Amendment doesn't apply to NASDAQ because it's a private en entity. Well, what do you say to that? Well, there are two thoughts there. First, um, it's been clear since the 1960s, and the left really used to understand this, that civil rights laws apply to private entities as well as public entities. Um, but additionally, the SEC itself is very much a public organization, and it has to uh, approve or disapprove anything that the NASDAQ does in a regulatory way, and it approved this, and that approval was, was state action, government action, and it, that approval violated, for certain, the, uh, the Fifth and uh, First Amendments. But also, NASDAQ has been uh, established as a government actor since the 1975 revisions of the Securities Exchange Act. So, you know, that's nearly 50 years now. Everybody is perfectly aware that this is government action, and for the SEC to pretend otherwise is is uh, pretty much par for the course for Gary Gensler's SEC. Now, let me ask you this. Isn't it beneficial for investors to, to know the diversity among the board members for the company they're investing in? Well, most companies are happy to provide all sorts of information about their boards of directors uh, and do so in their proxy statements and otherwise. If, uh, if companies don't elect to ask for private information like this and protected information like this from board members, then that's certainly their consideration. And if board members don't care to give it, it's certainly their consideration as well. Not a question for the NASDAQ, whose only responsibility is to make its uh, index, make its market regular, not to uh, inflict it with, with left-wing quotas or anything else. And that's what's happening here. Now you mentioned quota. Isn't the rule sort of a disclosure framework rather than, than a diversity quota? Well, it gives companies two bad and unconstitutional choices. Follow the quota uh, side of the rule, or they disclose why they haven't. And of course, a complete answer to that question ought to be, well, we followed the law and didn't illegally and unconstitutionally consider race, sex, or orientation in our hiring decisions. But in answering that way, they will have put their put a uh, target on their back for all of the woke protesters. And it's a First Amendment, first, first Amendment precedent that you don't have to hang a target on your own back for other people to come and harass you. And that's exactly what NASDAQ and the SEC are doing. But do you think diversity is important? There's a lot of talk about it. Do you think it's important? Well, certainly the, what's been established by all sorts of studies is the most important kind of diversity in boardrooms and throughout companies is viewpoint diversity. That would actually be somewhat related to the market. We don't think that, that the NASDAQ should be regulating that either. But we think, uh, we think diversity of all kinds is fine. But mandating diversity and having quotas for diversity and discriminating against anybody on the basis of race, sex, and orientation is wrong. And uh, the benefits that arise from diversity can't outweigh the benefits that arise uh, uh, from merit and hard work and from uh, obeying the law and not reintroducing systemic racism throughout American business. All right. Thanks for coming on today. Scott Shepard, Free Enterprise Project Director at National Center for Public Policy Research. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Now, Wall Street's main indexes closed lower today. The Dow fell 173 points, six-tenths of a percent. S&P 500 chopped 16 points, four-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 86 points, seven-tenths of a percent. And Bed Bath & Beyond has named an interim CFO. According to a filing today, former Chief Financial Officer Gustavo Arnell falling to his death from a New York City skyscraper was later ruled a suicide. 
Now head of accounting Laura Crossan will fill the role in the interim. She's worked at the company for more than two decades. She'll take over during a tumultuous time for Bed Bath & Beyond. A group of shareholders suing the company and Arnell saying they manipulated the company's stock price higher and then sold their shares at the inflated price. Bed Bath & Beyond said it's looking into the lawsuit, but based on current knowledge, believes it has no merit. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond fell 18% today. And CVS is buying home health care services company Signify Health for roughly $8 billion. The pharmacy giant is paying $0.30 cents and $30.50 per share in cash. The move solidifies CVS's transition away from its roots as a traditional retail drug store chain. The acquisition gives it a network of more than 10,000 doctors providing services like at-home diagnostics and care to patients nationwide. CVS itself has almost 10,000 U.S. retail stores, 1,100 minute clinics. They employ about 40,000 doctors, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners. CVS and Signify Health announced the deal Monday, saying they expected to close in the second half of 2023, pending regulatory approval. And poor shares could be trading by the end of this month. It's going to be one of the biggest public offerings in years, with analysts estimating Porsches could, could, Porsche could be valued between 60 and $84 billion. Executives from Porsche's parent company, Volkswagen, say the IPO will help them transition to electric vehicles. 25% of Porsche is being sold off. Half of those shares will be voting shares and half will be non-voting shares. The voting shares will be sold to Porsche family heirs and Volkswagen will own the remaining 75% of the company. Porsche, of course, is a high-performance sports car maker headquartered in Germany. Cars generally sell for over $100,000. And Bitcoin prices continue to fluctuate after plunging below $20,000 several times this summer. Experts now say prices of Ethereum and other leading digital currencies are also feeling the pressure. Pointing to inflation and recession fears, making some investors jittery. In this next story, we explain why September could be a critical month for crypto. Crypto under pressure. Bitcoin is trying to stabilize after several months of declining prices, even falling below 20,000. And experts say it's entering an even more volatile month. I think September is going to be a break, a make or break moment for Bitcoin. Some economists predict deeper lows could be ahead as investors buy less Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies amid inflation and fears of a possible recession. So many have either quit or they're holding you know positions with with significant losses and drawdowns that they're skeptical to go back in it comes as two major factors could impact the digital currency market this september one the fed has hinted it could raise rates a fifth straight time later this month raising fears that the move could tip the u.s economy into a recession and economists say that until the fed pivots its policy to cool down the economy digital coins will likely not see a significant increase in value so crypto alongside equity markets and fixed income will remain a pretty challenging place to be and you, you can't expect material upside and unfortunately you should be expecting more downside. Two, the largest altcoin in the crypto space, Ethereum, is about to cause a seismic shift in the market. Later this month, it's expected to undergo a much anticipated upgrade. That is going to allow Ethereum to uh, become less energy intensive and moving away from the proof of work to proof of stake.
And turning to Europe, Germany has announced it will keep two nuclear power plants on reserve till April 2023 is to secure electricity supply during the upcoming winter. The decision, though, is a departure from a 20-year plan to end nuclear power in Germany. The country just released the results of a power grid stress test that prompted the decision to keep the option open to reactive nuclear plants. It's also firing up some coal power plants. The aim was to reduce natural gas consumption and save them for the winter. A new report says that the new Iran nuclear deal could give hundreds of billions of dollars to the Iranian regime before 2030. Meanwhile, experts warn that Iran could already have enough enriched uranium for a nuclear bomb. This is what the nuclear deal is supposed to prevent. And Didis Khan Fredrickson has more. The government of Iran could receive $275 billion in financial benefits from the new Iran nuclear deal in its first year. This is according to the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, a Washington, D.C.-based research firm. It says Iran could benefit by $1 trillion before 2030. Meanwhile, Iran is supposed to have only 300 kilograms of uranium enriched to 3.67 percent under the deal. But the latest IAEA report says it has around 3,800 kilograms enriched up to 60 percent. Experts warn they could already have enough for one nuclear bomb. It's going to subsidize Iran's nuclear ambitions because they're not going to stop. Chuck Flint is the president of Flint Consulting, as well as former chief of staff to Senator Marsha Blackburn. Flint was in Israel when the original Iran nuclear deal negotiations were going on. The feeling over there, and I believe it's still unchanged, is that this is something that would, as I mentioned, destabilize the Middle East and, and really put the region on edge because it puts Iran on a path to a nuclear weapon. The goal of the Iran nuclear deal, formerly known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, is to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. I don't know if it'll be five years or 50 years. I think eventually Iran will get um, a nuclear weapon. Kay Campbell is a principal at Blue Glacier Security and Intelligence, LLC, and a former U.S. military intelligence officer with five years of Iran experience. Campbell says we can only delay Iran. It's almost impossible to destroy a nuclear program short of a full-scale invasion. The revival attempt has been going on for over a year. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Still to come, stay with us. E-cigarette maker Juul paying a hefty settlement to dozens of states for marketing their products to underage people. And the Brazilian government telling Apple they can't sell iPhones without a charger. They even fined Apple for doing it. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. Brazil's government today ordered Apple to stop selling iPhones without a battery charger. The government claims that the company provides an incomplete product to consumers, so it fined Apple $2.4 million. 
Ministry added the absence of a charger constitutes a, quote, deliberate discriminatory practice against consumers. Authorities rejected Apple's argument that the practice reduces carbon emissions. He said there's no evidence that selling the smartphone without a charger benefits the environment. The order comes a day before Apple is expected to announce its new iPhone model. And a collection of startups is showcasing the latest gadgets and innovations at Berlin's EFA Consumer Electronics Fair. Indeed's Andrew Thomas has the details on the new products. Where is the nearest train station, please? Non-German speakers at the EFA Consumer Electronics Show don't need to worry, as long as they have Pocket Talk's new mobile app. It's a subscription-based service that translates conversations in more than 82 languages. Users speak into the smartphone, which then plays audio translation and displays a written translation. We have had customers from around the world, everybody from healthcare professionals to people working in logistics to people who are traveling to the middle of Afghanistan on rescue missions for helping people there. We didn't realize how many applications there were to this until we started to sell it. And for pet owners, Invoxia's smart waterproof dog collar monitors health metrics, activity, location, and more. The device can run for a month between charges. It's never been done before to have this like 360-degree overview of the dog's uh, health and activity levels so that, you know, it's preventive health for dogs. Basically, it's like Apple Watch is doing for, uh, for the humans. The pandemic has seen a big uptick in the amount of air filtration devices. Respiray has brought a wearable air purifier to the show. Two fans inside the device do the hard work. I can show you how it works. It has HEPA filter inside. It comes from here. And it has two fans. They suck the air underneath the device. The HEPA filter cleans all the air from allergens and blows the air towards the mouth and nose. IFA Berlin is Europe's largest consumer electronics event. The show opened to the public on September 2nd after two days of media previews. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And e-cigarette maker Juul will pay nearly half a billion dollars to dozens of states in a settlement. The announcement comes after a two-year probe into the company's marketing and sales practices that found Juul deliberately marketed its products to young people, even though e-cigarette sales to underage people is illegal. Juul's marketing efforts included free samples, social media campaigns, launch parties, and using young-looking models in its ad campaigns. Also, the packaging was easy to hide and the fruity flavors were popular among teens and kids. Current settlement will limit Juul's sales and marketing abilities. Juul responded in a statement that the settlement is, quote, a significant part of our ongoing commitment to resolve issues from the past. And labor experts say a strike could be brewing within the next year at UPS, the world's biggest package courier. Comes ahead of a high-stakes showdown between the company and the Teamsters, one of America's oldest labor unions. The current contract is set to expire at the end of July 2023 with contract negotiations between UPS and the Teamsters set to begin in the spring. But before talks have even started, experts are predicting the company's drivers and package handlers will end up going on strike. It will be the largest strike against a single business in U.S. history. It would affect nearly every household in America. 
An estimated 6% of the nation's gross domestic product is moved in UPS trucks every year, with the shipping giant moving 21.5 million U.S. packages each day. Postal Service, Amazon and FedEx wouldn't be able to cover all the shortfall if there is a strike at UPS. And as the restaurant industry tries to recover from the pandemic, it's facing a new crisis, a staff shortage in the kitchen. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the need for chefs and head cooks is far outpacing the number of students interested in those careers. The Bureau projects the need for head cooks and chefs will rise 25 percent by 2030, far faster than the 8 percent growth rate for other occupations. The Culinary Institute of America, which is the most prestigious school for chefs in the United States, is now accepting 97 percent of all applicants. That compares to 2001, when it was only accepting 36 percent. The industry is acknowledging that it must offer higher pay, better benefits and improved work-life balance to help meet the demand. And for wine growers in some regions of Spain, Italy and Portugal, a record drought means production will be significantly reduced as a heat wave has also led to a different way of working. The harvest this year started early and some vineyards are also harvesting at night. Indirish Joy Dugud brings us this report. Here in the prestigious vineyards of Bordeaux, healthy ripe grapes hang heavy off rows of green vines. But this year, something is starkly different in one of France's most celebrated wine regions. The harvest of the grapes has already begun. The earliest we'd ever started until this year was August 20th. This time we started on the 18th, so it's the earliest ever. It's the result of the severe drought afflicting much of Europe. In the Bordeaux region, as in most of France, it did not rain between the end of June and mid-August. But the season of heat waves produced excellent grapes. Fabienne Tetgen is the technical director of Chateau Smith Haute Lafitte, an estate south of Bordeaux. When I turn back to my 10 or 15 last years, the number of great vintage we did, we never do so many great wines. So for, for us, for Bordeaux, for Smith Lafitte now, the global warming is very positive. We have better ripeness, better balance, so it's very wonderful. But if you turn to the future, and if you increase the temperature with one degree more, perhaps you will lose a part of the freshness and the balance of the wine. Experts say this year's vintage may be better than ever because the grapes are healthy and well balanced. The hot, dry weather also prevented the vines from getting diseases, such as mildew. Tetjen says he believes that yields may be 15 to 20 percent lower in the broader region mostly due to smaller grapes and the fact that some were burned by the sun in specific areas. But he is adamant that it won't affect the wine's quality. Achieving such a harvest required creative changes in growing techniques. Before, vintners used to give vines a shape that allowed the grapes to get the maximum amount of sun so that they produced more sugar, which converts into alcohol. This year, they tended not to prune as much to let leaves protect the grapes. Among other techniques, vintners may reduce the density of their plots to require less water or work the soil to better conserve moisture deep down. Experts are also considering whether planting new grape varieties could be relevant. Further south in Europe, harvesters also started weeks earlier than normal to save shriveling and scorched grapes. 
a number of Spanish vineyards, such as this one in Madrid region, have switched to nighttime grape picking to avoid working in the sweltering heat. It is much better to work at night. It is not as hot. There are no bugs. You work more comfortably. Yes, we appreciate it. At this moment, it is impossible to work during the day. We would be grilled. But there are other advantages too. The main reason is so people can work in optimal conditions. There are benefits for the grapes too, clearly, because the cooler the grapes are when they get to the cellar, the less we have to bring the temperatures down to control it. We all benefit. Joy Duguid, NTD News. As the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. If you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, you can always email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.